good morning again, church. It's good to see all of you with us here this morning at Fusion City. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm, I'm one of the teaching, or I'm the teaching pastor, one of the pastors here at Fusion City Church. And so I have the opportunity as the teaching pastor most weeks to, to come up here and we'll open the Bible and see what it has to say and how that pertains to our lives and try to figure out some of the things then that we can take away with us today as we leave and apply them to our lives. And so I hope that, um, that, that God is able to do that abundantly and fully in, in your life today as we, we study God's word together. If this is your first time hanging out with us, man, we want to say a special thank you and welcome to you. We know that Sunday mornings are a great time to, to do a lot of things, and the fact that you chose to spend your time with us means a lot to us, and we're just really, really glad that you're here, and we'd love to give you uh, a gift. It's just our way of saying thanks for spending some time with us today. Um, you can pick that up at the Hub on your way out uh, today. Just stop by and let them know, hey, I was a first-timer today, and like I said, we'd have a gift for you. Again, just our way of saying thanks for spending some time with us. We're really, really glad that you're here. And um, so if this is your first time, let me catch up a little bit about what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We're in a series uh, in the book of James. So about three quarters of the way through the, the Bible is the book of James right there after Hebrews and uh, what we're doing is kind of walking through uh, this book and, and learning some things together and, and trying to figure out how James, the half-brother of Jesus and the things that he wrote can apply to our lives. And so today we're going to be in chapter 2. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and flip in your Bibles over to James chapter 2, that's where we'll be today. If you didn't bring a Bible because you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. We have those at the Hub as well. Um, you can follow along with us on version if you have your phone and you want to use your, your smartphone as your Bible. I do that a lot. We have um, the sermon guide there in version for you. And we're going to put the words on the screen. So there's just not really a way to get away from reading Scripture with us today, and that's just kind of the way we like it. Uh, so before we get into James a little bit, I want to tell you uh, something that, that happened to me a few years ago because there's this, there's this danger that exists when we believe one thing to be true only to find out that we were mistaken. That ever happened to anybody else? Anybody ever make a mistake, like thought, thought you were right about something? Um, and then, yeah, so most of us have probably experienced that on some way, shape, or form. So, I, I, gosh, I guess it's been maybe about a dozen years ago. Now, it's been a long time. Um, my wife is a school teacher, and she had an assistant that was working for her at the time who was single, and she had um, drawn the interest of and the attentions and the affections of uh, a gentleman that, I guess, I think he went to her church. He kind of turned into like this little, little bit of a stalker, just going to be honest. There was some kind of stalking action thing going on, and he was, he was prone to leave her uh, love letters in places and, and do kind of crazy things. He, I think he went to her house and planted a tree of love in her front yard. It was kind of weird stuff going on there. Um, but so we thought it would be funny one night. So my wife and I were at the movies and we saw her van in the parking lot of the movie theater and just assumed that, that she was probably in watching the movie after us. And so I, I looked at my wife and I said, wouldn't it be cool if we left Donna a love note from her secret admirer, stalker guy thing or whatever? Like, let's just, let's make it all gooey and gushy and weird and like just as creepy as we can make it and then just leave it on her van and it's gonna be awesome, right? So we, so we did. So we, so we wrote this letter uh, and because we're, you know, 
mature adults that educate your children and lead your churches. And, and so, we, um, so we, we stuck it under the, the windshield wiper of her van. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so hilarious because she comes into work on Monday and she's telling you all about this stuff. And da, da, da. So, so Monday came and went and, and she didn't say anything about the letter. Now she and Aaron, like they're buddies. And so that they, like she would have told Aaron about this. And so Aaron said, well, I couldn't wait for Aaron to get home. What'd she say? What'd she say? And she didn't say anything. That's weird. And so we got to noticing a couple of days after that that there was a van in our neighborhood. This is one of the joys of living in Kannapolis, this you know, thriving metropolis that we are. There was a van of, uh, in our neighborhood parked in the driveway that looked exactly like her assistant's van, like identical. And there weren't a whole lot of them, but it looked completely identical to her van. Now, it just so happens that I work with a lady who was friends of the lady in my neighborhood who drives this van. <laughs> I was working with her at the time. And so I said, hey, um, I think I might have made a mistake. And so there was this whole, like, this whole thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, she told me about this letter that got left on her van. And she told me that there was some guy. And now, that she, now she went and told her that it was me. And now she thinks that I, this pastor, am cheating on my wife. And, like, there's all this drama. Like, no, 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 no. It's just this big mistake. And, and her friend was like, oh, no, I read the letter. It was no mistake. He's in love with that woman. And you need to tell his wife. And, then, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I learned firsthand the danger of believing something emphatically only to find out that I was mistaken. And what, could it t- what was supposed to be this funny, like, ha-ha, we left you a note in your van, turned into pastor cheats on his wife scandal thing potential, right? And so uh, it took me about a week to get all that stuff ironed out and make sure that I get to still be a pastor. <laughs> and so um, that's kind of the, that's the danger that exists. When we believe something to be true, only to find out that we're mistaken. And so that's what I want us to take a look at today as we dive into James chapter number two. And here's why. Because I don't know if this is true for you, but I know it's true for me. On multiple occasions, I've asked someone or an individual, hey, are you a are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? To get this response. Well, you know, I believe in God, but. And then the the but always is like, but I don't go to church and I don't do this and I don't, you know, do this too well and I don't really do that either and I don't really, but but I believe in God. And it's in that instance that I am fully aware that we're talking about two very different things. That when I say Christian, or when I say Christ follower, that I've got a very specific thing in mind because I know what that means for my life and for the lives of so many who are truly followers of Christ. Yet at the same time, this individual has now quantified themselves to be on the same or talking about the very same thing that I am. That when I say, are you a Christian? And they say, yeah, I believe in God. And they think we're talking about the same thing when in fact we're talking about two exclusively and very different things. And so James, as he writes this letter to these believers in the dispersion, and if you aren't really familiar with the whole context of James, you can go back and grab our podcast from week one. We talked about that a lot, who James is writing to. And as he writes to these believers, this is what he's telling them. That there is a way to know. There's a, there is a way to evaluate 
your life, your belief system, your faith to determine if the kind of faith that you have is the kind that God had in mind when he drew people to himself. So it's my hope today that all of us have an opportunity to evaluate our faith based on what James writes and to determine if the faith that we have is the kind of faith that truly saves. Now, we're going to be talking about one of the most, not one of the most, but a very highly debated topic, the issue or the relationship between something that we call faith and something that we call works. Because if if you read scripture at a very, very surface level and you read what Paul wrote and then you read what James writes, there's a, there there seems to be a contradiction. So let let me show you the contradiction. Then, then I'll explain what James wrote and how we can see how we can reconcile those two things together. So Paul said this, Paul said that we're justified meaning that we are made right with God. That's what it means to be justified. Paul says that we're justified by faith alone. Only, it's only faith that can justify us. It's only faith that can make us right or put, put us into right standing with God. He said it like this in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For Paul said, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's what Paul is saying. It is faith alone that saves, not your works that saves you. That way, none of us can boast in our salvation. So here's what James is gonna do. James is gonna make the argument that while it is faith alone that saves, not everything that people believe to be faith is actually faith. That what you are calling faith is the wrong van. (laughs) And there's some danger that exists when you believe that van to belong to one person only to find out that it belongs to somebody else. There's a danger in believing that this is actually faith when it is actually something very, very different. So here's the argument James is going to make. If you want to write this down and take some notes today, you can, you can pencil this in there on, on um, your Connect group. I'm sorry, on your um, program that you got or in your, the, the books that we use in our Connect group should be the kingdom books. You can write this down. A faith that saves is a faith that works. I'm going to say it again because that's pretty profound. I don't want you to miss it. A faith that saves is a faith that works. So in order to to make that statement true and to understand that, we've got to define a couple of terms. And so that's what I want to do. So let's let's define faith and works. Let's start with faith. Here's what faith is. Faith is that which trusts God and therefore obeys God. That because I trust God, I will do what. What he says, and we talked a little bit about this in week one. We said that the reason that we obey God is not because he's trying to rob us of anything, but because he wants to have this, wants us to have this abundant life where the, the pleasures of joy are in his fullness. Remember, we read that in the book of Psalms together in week one. So faith is that which trusts God and therefore obeys God. Now, here's what works is. Works as defined by Jesus or according to Jesus, the works of the law or all of the law or all of the commands found in the Old Testament could be summed up in two commands. And here they are. Love God 
Love people. There are your works. Works are the things that we do because we love God and because we love people. Anybody fail at that this week by chance? Anybody fail at loving God perfectly or loving people perfectly? Yeah, yeah, me too. I fail at that every single week. So here's, so let me tell you what James is not saying. Let's read it first. Let's read it together. James chapter two, verses, we're gonna cover 14 through 26. Let's just start with verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? Can a faith that is absent of works really save? That's what James is saying. Let me tell you what James is not saying. James is not saying that now that we have faith all kind of figured out, we've kind of walked through the door of salvation, now we gotta get to busy cleaning ourselves up. James is not saying that, that we have to add faith or we have to add works to our faith, that now that we have faith, now we gotta go get the works. That's not what James is saying because for James to say that makes the cross of Christ irrelevant. That if we have to work in order to be saved, then that means that everything Jesus did was irrelevant, that there was no redemption, there was no restoration in the cross, there was no covering of sin in the work of Jesus on the cross. If we have to work to get ourselves into a place where God will accept us, then that makes what Jesus did on the cross completely useless. So that's, not, that's what James is not saying because he can't be saying that we have to have faith and we have to work to gain righteousness. That's not what James is saying. What he is saying is that a faith that saves is a faith that works. That you don't add works to faith, but that works is the natural outflow of faith. James is arguing that faith is extremely difficult to quantify. He's saying, what evidence is there for faith? How do you know? How do you know if someone has faith? So if we're looking for evidence, where is it that we should Look, and so James, to illustrate his point, I told you this, James is an old school preacher. He's going to use some preacher illustrations, and that's exactly what he does. And so to illustrate his point, James goes on to say this. He says this in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is, this is James' question. What, what does that do? What, what good is it to see somebody poorly clothed? And when James says poorly clothed, he's not talking about the brother's gear comes from Walmart. Like it's not like he didn't get the top tier stuff, but he's still okay. He's not saying that, that, his, that his gear is just substandard. He's saying brother's naked, right? Like dude, dude is naked and starving to death. And, we, and, and then, then here's what he's saying is that if we have a faith that looks at a person in need and simply says, you know, you know what I would do if I was you? I'd get me some clothes. 
Now, if, if man, if I was hungry like you were, I'd go, I'd go get some food. James said, what, what good is it if all our faith can do is look at someone in dire need and say, I really wish you the best. I really wish you were warm and well-fed. Go, be warm and filled. What good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, James is saying, what do your warm wishes do? Is it the result of faith? Is the result of faith, is the evidence of faith that we're looking for, is it just the warm fuzzies? Like I have faith and so I feel good. I have faith and so I look at a brother in need and I wish good things for him. But I don't do anything to be good for him. That's what James said. That kind of faith that just wishes well without doing well is dead. It's useless. What good is it to have a faith? that simply wishes somebody well without doing well for them. You see, where there is the perception of faith with no action, it is no, it's no good for anybody. Here's, here's what James is saying. This cuts two ways. It's no good for the person in need because they're not getting anything from, they're not benefiting from the, the, the wealth of the believers, they're not, they're not benefiting from the wealth of the kingdom. There's nothing being given to them by the hand of God through his conduits, that's us, his believers. And there is also no blessing, there is no, there's no usefulness to the believer who does not work, who does not act, who does not demonstrate God's love to people in need. That's what he's saying, that what good is it if our faith doesn't help anybody? We don't get the blessing of being used by God as a conduit for him into the world, and the world doesn't benefit from us being a blessing to the world. It's useless. What good is it, James says, for us to have a faith that doesn't work? It's a useless faith where all we do is receive the, the, the good and the benefit from God. But, but we don't give anything. We don't act on behalf of God as a conduit into the world. Here's what James is saying. That kind of lifestyle, that's not faith and works. That's, that's spiritual constipation. That's, that's just taking and taking and taking, but there, there's no outflow. And, and nobody wants to be spiritually backed up. That's what, that's what James is saying. That's, Let's, keep, let's just get that visual out of our heads and move on. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, James just introduced us into an antagonist in the story. Like, there's there's going to be somebody. Now, I don't, I don't know James yet. I'm, I'll meet him when I get up there. I don't, maybe James is a little passive aggressive. This brother might have actually been in one of the churches. James has somebody in mind. Like James is saying, so hypothetically, there's somebody that might say that I can completely understand and believe that that Jesus is who he says he was and God does what God says he does. And I don't actually have to have, 
I don't have to do works to have faith. There might be somebody that would say, I mean, his name, his name might be Bill. Like, I don't, like, there might be somebody that would say, this is how it works. And James says, no, no, no. That, that's not how it works. Verse 19, because you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. James is essentially telling them that what you are calling belief isn't going to save you because it's only faith that saves and a faith that results in works is the only kind of faith that saves. So listen to me, I wanna, I wanna be careful and def- I wanna define some terms, but I wanna be very careful in how I do it. In the church, we or in in inside of the faith as Christ followers, one of the terms that gets used for us, I use it myself, I I like the term, I'm not against the term, but the term that's used to define us oftentimes is this, believers. We are those that believe. Hear me, at the very logical truth of the word outside. Now, when we say believers, when I say I'm a Christian believer, that means there's like a whole like theology behind that. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you know, you, you're tracking with me? When I say I'm a believer, like there's a belief that does and a belief that, 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 that changes and a belief that saves and a belief. And, a, and like when I say believer, there's all of this context that I have behind it, that you have behind it when you say you're a believer in Christ. That, that that belief causes something. There's a causality to my belief. We understand that to be true. But at the very root of the word, if we just take it out of biblical and spiritual context and we look at the word believe in and of itself, here's what James is saying. Belief was never the goal. Belief is not enough. It's not enough just to believe because even the demons believe. And they shudder. So hear me, don't, it's not wrong to call us believers. We are believers, but when we say that, there's a, there's a context to it. There's a framework around that. But here's what James is saying. It's not enough to believe. It's like the people that, that I talked about at the beginning of the message when I said, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Well, I believe in God. Okay, awesome. That's not saving faith. Faith and root English word believer, two vastly different things. So here's what James is saying. How do you know if you have faith and not just mere intellectual assent to sound doctrine? Because intellectual assent into sound doctrine is not the same thing as salvation. It's not just enough to know the right things. The right things must demand, they must influence, they must compel us to do something. And that is where the intersection of faith and works happens. I hope that made sense. Feels a little confusing even as it comes out of my mouth. But I just wanna, I wanna be careful. Let's, let, me, let me see if I can explain it a little bit better. A clever man would say, I intellectually understand that God is who the Bible says that he is. And I intellectually understand that Jesus did what the Bible says that he does. And I understand what all of that means. Therefore, I am 
saved. Here's what James will say. This is a seat. James says, if you truly believe that the seat will hold you, have a seat. Just sit down. There's there's evidence to what you believe. If you really believe a chair will hold you, have a seat. And the clever man will say, I don't have to have a seat to believe that the chair will hold me. I can see that it is made of, of, of steel and there's some metal and it, it, looks, it looks very, I don't have to touch it. Like I, just, I can just look at it and know that it will hold me. James said, okay, have a seat. Well, I don't have to have a seat because I, I intellectually believe. Just have a seat. Brother, just sit down. Just have a seat. Prove your belief. Demonstrate what you believe by what you do. You, you can't say I have faith in the chair and refuse to sit down because your faith is demonstrated by the action of having a seat. Now, this thing came from Ikea, so that's always a little scary. <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith. <laughs> but I'm glad God didn't make me look foolish. Like, I'm still, I'm still sitting down. For those of you listening to the podcast and can't see, I'm good. You see, you can't, you can't reason your way around faith. At some point, there has to be a demonstration. There has to be some evidence. There has to be something that takes place as a result of faith. Otherwise, how do you know? How do you know? James is saying, you, you can't. There's only one way to be sure, and that is to allow your faith to work. Because a faith that saves is a faith that works. Now, what I love so much about James, James won't leave it alone. James drives some stuff home. A couple weeks ago, we handed you a copy of the book of James. If you read that, you probably get it. Like James, is, he just, he pounds it. He want to make sure that he gets his point across. So he gives us two more examples. Let's read them together, verses 20 through 25. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, Bill? Do you, you want to know, Bill? Let me, let me show you to this hypothetical person that I may or may not be talking about. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. In other words, was that not a demonstration of his faith that he was willing to sacrifice his son? You see, that faith was active along with works. It's, it's a both and thing, James is saying. And faith was completed, or in other words, there's demonstrated. His faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God. But how do we know he believed God? By what he did. And it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith only. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So James, he gives us two illustrations, two people that would have been widely known to all the Jewish believers that are receiving this letter. First, he gives us Father Abraham. Now, what a, what a shot. Now, we all, like, if you grew up in church, you know Father Abraham because he had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. 
and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right arm, you know, whatever. And if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. If you, you have no idea what we're, what we're talking about right so that was a song about Father Abraham that we all learned at vacation Bible school and in Sunday school and at children's church and all that other kind of stuff. But I so very much love that, that Abraham isn't the only illustration because everybody knows Abraham had faith. But I so, so love that that's not the only illustration because the next one is Rahab the prostitute. And her faith demonstrated by her works. Y'all remember the Rahab the prostitute song? No, you want to know why you don't remember the Rahab the prostitute song? Because there wasn't a Rahab the prostitute song. We didn't sing about Rahab the prostitute in Sunday school, in children's church, in Bible school. But here's what James is saying. You can know that they had faith. And how do you know? By what they did. Both of them are, are shining examples of what it looks like to have faith. Verse 26, we'll finish out with this. It says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith that doesn't work is dead. Now, let me, let me tell you what might be happening for some of you in the room right now. You can kind of feel your internal legalist start to activate. Okay, so if faith without works is dead, then give me the list of works because I don't want to have a faith that's dead. That's not how it works. That, that's not how this thing works. See, look, here's what James is saying. He's saying faith without works cannot save you. But what do I mean by works? It means that you saying, I am a Christian with no love in your heart that leads you to do anything for others. Even as imperfectly as this gets executed by us so many times, that means that to say that you're a Christian, but to have no love for other people and no real love for God means that you should stop calling yourself a Christian. I love you, but you're not. If you claim the title Christ follower, believer, Christian, any of that. But there is no love that informs how you live and what you do. You should stop. Now you should, you should repent. You should confess. And you should believe. And you should be saved so that faith can begin to inform. What I'm saying is if you currently call yourself a Christian, but your faith does not inform how you live, you should stop it. I love you. I love you. I do. I love you, but you're not, and you should stop. If the only thing that your faith informs is where you spend your Sunday mornings, then you don't have a faith that saves. You've found a kind of cool event to attend every Sunday morning, and we're glad that you're here. But that's not the kind of faith that saves. Now, you all know I'm, I'm like connect group champion. Like I love connect groups. I will champion them every chance that I get because I believe in the power and working of connect group. I do. And connect group is where our faith gets strengthened. But if, you're, if the only things that your faith 
informs or your faith compels is where you spend your Sunday morning and a group of people to go hang out with one day of the week. If that's, the, if that's as far as it goes, but it does not compel you to love those that you would not otherwise love, to serve those that you would not otherwise serve, and to give to those that you would not otherwise give to. If your faith is not working, it is not the faith that saves. And I love you enough to yell at you and tell you that. I kind of got away from that yelling thing for a while, but it's coming back, you know? It's just, I can't kick, I'm, I can't kick it. Love, forgive, serve. Do you know what all those words have in common? They're verbs. They're words of action. They do, they work. And here's why. Because a faith that saves is a faith that works. So, so you have to ask yourself a really serious question. I, I don't want you to get the wrong van. I, I don't want you to have the wrong definition of faith. Because there is nothing more significant and central to our lives as Christ followers than to know without a shadow of a doubt, with all certainty and confidence, that we are truly followers of Christ because we have a faith that saves and we know that we have a faith that saves when we have a faith that works. So here's, here's the question you have to ask yourself. What does my faith inform in my life? What does my faith demand of me? Because if there is no impact, if there is no result, if there is no action as a result of your faith, if it does not change what you do, listen to me. You got the wrong brand of faith. And you can point at it and call it whatever you want. And I don't make it faith. One of, one of my favorite mentors in the whole world, he's a great, great man, but he was old school. He had an illustration. He said, that going to church, or maybe I would say even believing that you're a Christian, if it doesn't result in works, believing you're a Christian doesn't make you as much a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. That's an old school preacher illustration, but I love it because it's so true. Going to church don't make you any more a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. I would go as far to say as believing that you're a Christian without a faith that works does the exact same thing. So, so, so how do we get this right? How do we fix it? See, here's where this tension exists for me as a pastor. Because I, I, wanna, I wanna create an atmosphere as a church where we put in front of you opportunities to demonstrate your faith. We wanna, we, wanna, we wanna help you with that. We wanna facilitate that. But here's what we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful that we don't do the work without the faith. 
Because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is not faith. Faith without works does not save. But here's the flip side. Here's the other side of that same coin. Works without the heart behind it. Works without faith doesn't save either. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is legalism. Hey, just give me the list. Just tell me the things I'm supposed to be doing to make myself saved. There is no list. The list becomes defined and populated by what our heart informs of us. It is not populated by something in this book or anything that I can give you. So, so we're going we're gonna to help you in every way that we can as a church to put some things in front of you, to give you some opportunities and some suggestions of, hey, here's what it might look like for you to display your faith. Here's a way that your faith can work. Here's an example. Here's something that you can do. But we got to be very careful that we don't do those things so that we can believe we're saved. We have to believe and have faith first. We also have to add to that there has to be a both and. It can't be faith without works and it can't be works without faith. It takes both. And that's what James is arguing. It's still faith alone that saves. But you've got to be careful with how you're defining faith. So let's define it well and then let's go out and live it well. Would you pray with me? Father, it's my hope that this message lands in a place that is helpful to us. That God, even now, you might begin to help us figure out how it is that our faith informs us to live. That God, as we reflect on James's letter and as we think of the things, God, that you have called us to, that you've compelled us to, that God, you might help us to better understand what it looks like to have works in our life, but not works for the sake of doing works, but works because we are so compelled to live out the gospel in front of the people that we interact with, that we can't help but to work. That's what James was saying. God, that's what he meant. That when I have a true faith, I can't help but work. I have to work. I have to love and I have to serve and I have to forgive. I don't have a choice. The, the gospel would bid me these things. The gospel demands these things. So Father, would you help us? Would you help us? Because we are imperfect and because we are fallible and because we get it wrong so many times. God, would you show us? Would you show us a faith works. Would you increase in us, God, our love for you and increase our love for others that we might serve them and that we might serve you in the process. And God, in all the ways that that can look this week, God, would you implant within us a few specific ways that this week we can demonstrate the faith that we have by what we do. James said, you show me your faith by what you say. I'll show you my faith by what I do. So God, would you help us to be people of action and we'll do it because we believe that you are worthy and because of the gratefulness in our hearts that we have a connectivity with you bought and paid for through the blood 
of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.